This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. G'day, everybody. Thanks for joining me. In this episode, I bring you a chat with Chris Themelko from the renowned Melbourne group Obvious Omega, with their new EP Portrait set to release late April 2023, Chris not only shares his insights about that EP, but he offers a wealth of knowledge about his thoughtful and thoughtful opinions, I should say, on various topics related to production, group dynamics and a band setup, and mentorship for young and impressionable bands. As always, Chris proves to be an engaging and insightful guest, making for a fantastic chat. This one isn't to be missed, actually. If you want to know what's up in Australian music in this epoch, he's a pretty good guy to listen to, I've got to say. Here he is, Chris Themelko from Orpheus Omega. Mate, it's all it's all going on behind you there. I love what you got set up there. I mean, it's a bit different to my man cave here, which doubles up <laughs> as my kids' play area. Yeah, it's taken me a while to sort of like, I guess, um, make the studio a bit more aesthetically pleasing. I've been, I'm usually very utilitarian person but i was just like this is getting boring <laughs> yeah and i might get the vanity wall up and going well wait until you have kids because then nothing's yours you don't own anything right <laughs> Every, everything is look i have cats i feel like they tend to take control of everything so i can't imagine actual human babies you know that can like physically grab and move things around <laughs> yeah yeah but you're looking well since our last chat mate things look like as though they're full steam ahead for you yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah, very different times at the moment, isn't it? I think we spoke during COVID, didn't we? Yeah, I think we yep. spoke at the peak of the bloody thing, and we yep. were talking. I had to listen back to the chat. We're talking all about your social media strategy and about yep. how you planned to reach people and the ways in which you were doing that. So, of course, you nothing better than than an EP to have out there rather than just a mm. single song. I think it was last time, which was the yep. the catalyst for our chat. So, is this is is the EP a result of? The lockdown so were you able to be productive during that period and, and write the ep or is this just something that came together anyway so we actually had the idea for this sort of uh i guess um the, the idea for this ep and the concept was something we thought about years ago we just never got around to doing it there was just so much going on like we definitely spent a lot of time pre-pandemic touring and writing and releasing and all that sort of thing so doing something that i guess was a bit more self-indulgent wasn't on the cards um, then after lockdowns and everything, once we did the bleed the way anniversary tour and it was Joao's last shows and Luke's first shows and that sort of, you know, passing of the torch had happened, mm-hmm. he has brought it up again and was just like, oh, you know, remember that idea we had for that EP where everyone writes their own song? Maybe now's a good time for it. Just, you know, wet the whistle a little and get back into it. And it went from like, a, oh, that could be cool to just obviously everything that's, that's, happened since and i'm really really stoked that we went down that road because it's been a really fun not only a learning curve but like a i guess um self-exploration journey for everyone writing their song and it's yeah it's been really really fun so it's sort of been a culmination of like ideas past that never got to be done and then just this coming out of everything and going well we don't know what the lay of the land is so why don't we just do something for ourselves and have fun with it and it's been awesome so far it's been received really well like all the songs that we've released so far because we had no idea what anyone was going to think of it because you know again the idea was to be purely self-indulgent because we just wanted this for ourselves but we wanted to share it with people it's you know Mm. usually how it goes to some degree anyway but this was a purely sort of um for us endeavor and it's just been really fun um and i guess fulfilling knowing that other people have latched onto it and really enjoyed it so far so i'm glad that we sort of at this point coming all the way from maybe like 2018 when we first first thought about doing it. 
Yeah, yeah, it sounds, sounds yeah. What about uh, you've roped in a few friends this time around, haven't you? There's quite a few guests that appear on the yeah. on the recordings. Tell Absolutely, especially Speed. Speed's fantastic. Yeah. Um, again, it's one of those things where when we decided we wanted to go down this route, it was like you know, like all right, go hard or go home sort of thing. And I, I started writing my song first, and I was like, I really want Andy involved because it's like we're really close friends. And we've worked together professionally for like other releases, you know, like I've tracked him for stuff and he's worked with me for stuff, but never on music together. Um, mm. So when I started writing my song, I just said, dude, I would really love you to do the orchestrations for this. Cause everyone knows him for his guitar playing, but he's easily one of the best composers I know. Yeah. Um, so when he started doing that, then it, it was like, well, what if you just do the guitar solo with me as well? And then from there it was like, how are your vocals coming along? Cause he's been working on his growls and stuff. Like he's quite a good clean singer. Um, and then it just became like, not just a guest, you know, he was like fully featured on the song and then everyone else, you know, had a little bit more of that, like, Oh, well, I mean, if we, you know, if we're going to do that, like I'd love to have X, Y, Z, you know, like Leon is a huge Caligula's horse fan and, you know, we all are, but he, you know, they're probably one of his favorite bands in the country by far. Um, and luckily I'm acquaintances with Jim and we threw the idea out and he heard the song and was like, that's sick. Would love to be involved. And it kind of was just like that for everyone, you know, like we've toured with Omnium Gatherum um, in the past and obviously through Insomnium as well. So Marcus and Yuka were just really nice about giving us their time and making the effort. And then um, same thing with um, Speed with Bjorn, you know, well, I would say for all of us, he's probably one of our favorite vocalists just ever. Like the dude is incredible. Um, and Luke just felt like his song would be perfect. And, you know, it was very much a, like, throw the idea out and see how it goes. And same thing happened. Like he was keen to be on board. We gave him the song and the lyrics and where we thought he'd fit, but he just went above and beyond with everything. And then like, when it came back, it was very much that same thing where it was like, Oh, you're not just a guest on this. Like you completely are a part of this song. So we kind of had to change a few things once we got the vocals back Mm. and that's how the whole process went. It was just very organic. Everyone kind of took it and ran because I feel like we weren't super structured about what everyone had to do. Um, and it's, it's been really fun doing that. And every guest on it has just, you know, taken the songs and just elevated them completely, which has been amazing. Is, is that a, it's a really interesting point actually. And is that as a result of you being a producer and working with bands that you find the best way to approach almost any recording session at this point is when people know what they're doing and they're commendable musicians, they already know their shit, have at it, do what you think you can do to add value. I I 100% agree. Yeah, I I do. And I think in that same token, it's probably the way my mind has shifted as time's gone as well. I think I value way more of what I do from a producer standpoint than like the mixing side. Like obviously I love mixing and and the mechanical side of recording. Um, but you know, you, if you give 10 different mix engineers a song, they'll do it their own way and they'll um, sort of bring out different elements. But if the song's not there from the start, if it's not all good from once it's written and tracked then you can't do much with it. And so a lot of that, you know, trying to make things work within the strengths of each musician is really where my focus is on and you know again working with just completely seasoned professionals i mean in terms of the guests and all that they they had no trouble there was really like maybe one or two notes where it was like oh could you do this thing but it was like literally like maybe one percent of what they gave us where we thought there could be an idea in there so you know that's speaks for itself really Mm -hmm. How, how close are you to to releasing an album. I know this is an EP, which is more or less the same as an album, so I get that. But um, do you still, from memory, we, we spoke a, a bit about 
EPs versus singles versus albums, yeah. and even if the, like the release strategy, effectively. So yeah. you obviously intended for this to be an EP, but do you yeah. even see value? Is probably the better question that I should ask. Do you see any value in an album at this point, given the way Spotify works and the algorithms on social media operate? Um, I do, and um, I, I have no hesitation to say that I don't support any of the way that people would write music specifically for an algorithm or a platform because, and, and this is sort of the separation I make, Spotify is a platform, iTunes is a platform, they will come and go. Um, right now, yeah, absolutely, Spotify is the main one, but Apple, iTunes was for ages. And before that, there was other things. And like, that's going to change as time goes on. And if you're just writing music so that you can fit in with an algorithm, you're just going to be a product of your time and then it's going to disappear. Mm. So I don't think following the trends is necessarily a good thing. Um, you can definitely keep an eye on it and tweak and take things and sort of um, use the promo side to your advantage. But I'm, I've always been a big fan of writing a group of music together with the people that you're with and it becomes a time capsule, right? Like you're going to write something at one point in time because your life is at a certain point and that's what art is, right? You're, it's self-expression. If you're one thing I just personally find difficult is if you're just writing a single every so often, then it's hard to have a context of like what you're trying to achieve with it because it's like, are you just trying to get the real quick value of like, oh, here's a crowd pleaser and everyone's going to listen and then it just gets forgotten after a little while and then you just rinse and repeat. I think even within the context of an album, you can still promote it like the songs are singles and once the album's out, it's like, yeah, the album's out, but you've got a whole album worth of songs that you can promote individually. And I think pop artists have been amazing at that for like over 20 years, you know, mm. um, they've been doing that. The album's been out for like a year, but they're still like new single by Lady Gaga or whatever. It's like, didn't that album come out last year? And it's like, it did, but that's not the point. The point is that that, that um, collection of music is there to listen to as a collection but they're still promoting each song so that every time someone checks it out, they realize that there is an album to listen to. This this has come from this um, batch of music that was released. And so I think that way of promoting it is much better and probably something that the heavier side of music should approach more. And again, bands like Trivium are a great example in Flames. There's just a whole bunch of heavier acts now that have sort of cottoned onto that way of keeping relevant and keeping the social media algorithm happy without necessarily um, letting the integrity of the music fall apart while doing it. Yeah, pleasing both. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. Mm. You're a knowledgeable guy and it's born from experience and also the, the practical side of it. In other words, you think about these things. Mm. Have, have When you, you're sitting in your producer's chair, do ban does the conversation with the bands that you're working with, does it roll around to these sort of topics and they're asking you questions about yeah release strategies is that a lot of yeah, yeah sounds like yeah absolutely and i think that stands to the whole um you have to be a jack of all trades being a producer these days in the same way with bands right you need to be mm -hmm. a social media manager you need to be a product manager you, you know like you can't just write music there's 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 no attention span or budget for a band to just be good at writing music anymore it doesn't doesn't exist like the legacy acts have that that's great but they've also been sitting on millions and millions of dollars for 30 years or whatever. Mm. Um, and the same thing applies with the production side. When bands come in, you know, I've had to have that chat sometimes where a band's been like, oh, we really love this song that we wrote in this intro, but we feel like if we put it on Spotify like this, then people are going to get bored of it or something. And then you have to work out, you know, we're going to cut it up where this part's an intro in its own track or is a part of this track. And things like okay. that are hard because it's like, at what point does the song stop becoming the song and 
start becoming a product for that um, platform. So th- th- those conversations definitely happen. Um, I guess not as often as I thought they might, which is good. Like it's less of a consideration than I than I thought it might be, but it definitely comes up. Um, and it's always a conversation that needs to be had of like, what's your goal and what's the purpose here? You know, if you really want to put these songs together and you don't mind sacrificing some of your vision because you want it to be, I guess, easily digestible or whatnot, then go for it. But just be aware of the decision you're making and what that might mean long-term. That's all. What what do you think of these? I've noticed there's this trend um, amongst these musician types to start labelling their services as life coaching. Have you seen this fucking trend that started to happen? No. There's a couple couple of them out there, and I think they're based in Melbourne, if I'm not mistaken. And one of them has been doing it for some time now. I just I look at it and I go, I mean, I'm 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 not saying I'm old, but you know, 45. Okay, so you know, I think I smell bullshit, and I just look at it as a way that these people are trying to earn money off people who are looking for a solution. Okay, because as we both know, there are no one, there is no out of the box mm. package you can apply to anything but i i guess the point's going to be redundant if you haven't heard of some of these people but let me assure you that they're out there they're effectively labeling themselves from anything from band mentors to life coaches right as soon as i hear the word life coach i say to anybody run just, <laughs> just go yeah. but it sounds like it sounds like you you do this anyway it's just part of the service as a producer which is i remember working with richie norton back in the day from super high so you should go down to melbourne for a for a, i went down to melbourne for a couple of sessions but one of them i worked with him fantastic fella great guy to work with you end up just talking about all these things anyway and you end up just picking the brain yeah. of somebody who's very experienced like what people it's- are doing with you it's, it's interesting because, like, this is sort of part of the reason I started Anchor Entertainment with um, Anthony from Triple Kill. Some of what we do, like, it's it's a management gig organizing or uh, event organizing team, but a lot of what we do is sort of, like, try to help the bands that we're working with avoid the pitfalls that we had early on. So mm-hmm. I guess it might be a similar thing, but I don't think we've ever looked at it as, like, a coaching thing. It's more of just, like, a you know, if a band's early in their career – they haven't quite had the experience or like had to go through the downfalls that you just kind of go through as a band before learning them. So, you know, we've tried to be a bit more on top of that side of things with them where it's like, Hey, you know, here's probably a way to present yourself professionally so that you come across a certain way when you're dealing with promoters or when you're sending emails or whatever. So a lot of those little things where it just helps you avoid, um, those growing pains. I know there are like, I guess like the band coaches out there who will like, I guess, yeah, maybe do like the courses with bands. Is that might be what you're talking about? Like they do like the full course. There's certainly somebody out there preaching a course. I just look at it and I, 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 look, I, look, I went to uni and I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that be like me and do this. I'm simply saying that, You've got to apply critical thinking skills at mm. some point with some of this stuff because at what point is the so is it is it a, is it as soon as something's productized it's really about the person trying mm. to make money when it's when when it's like like you know I went remember going to a um down at Talabudger, I think yeah this bloody mm. idiot who you, I had colitis severe ulcerative colitis okay so I was looking for in conjunction with pharmaceuticals I was looking to mm. say what could natural more natural remedies do to help and ended up was this I found it myself years years after the fact CBD oil works really yeah. well for me yeah. okay non non psychoactive CBD oil works brilliantly but the side benefit is that it enhances my mood great stuff but yeah there was this one bloke you go down and everybody who went in whether they were suffering depression 
anxiety mm-hmm. uh, or, or physical issues like what I had, the solution was always the one thing, which is the, oh, yeah. it's like the, the one size fits all solution. Yeah, yeah. I, I, on that side, I'll agree with you 100%, um, regardless of like not knowing specifics with certain people's um, methods. But with all things, there is no one solution fits all. And this is kind of the mentality again with like the Spotify thing, right? Like, you mm. know, Spotify CEO is like, bands should be doing X, Y, Z. And it's like, that's just because it helps Spotify does shit all for the bands. Mm. Um, and so that same like blanketing everything with a one size fits all um, method does, it just doesn't work. Like bands are literally made up of multiple individuals. My mentality is the same way as you approach writing music or recording a band. It's like, what, what are the individual elements that make this band special? What is it that makes this band a band? And you try to like bring out the best parts of that in the same way, like you do with a mix. It's like, you know, you, you want to, highlight the best bits it's not necessarily taking away the bits that aren't a focus it's just putting the spotlight on all the right things and that might be you know a band like uh behemoth who are super theatrical and you know it's basically like you're going to a theater show or the flip side where you might go see trivium which is four dudes in freaking high tops um you know playing their Mm. own version of metal it's like you you couldn't have both of them do that you know what i mean like you, you couldn't say that trivium needs to have a certain look and put on a certain kind of theatrical stage show. It doesn't work for them. That's not how their music sounds. But with Behemoth, it's almost like a religious experience going to see that band. Yeah. And that that to me is like obviously quite like polar opposite bands, but you obviously couldn't give them the same advice. Um, so I don't see how that would work in any other real world situation either. I think um, if those people are like people who might be doing coaching and all that, if they're specifically really working on like each band and there's like, I don't know if there's outcomes there that you can really see like each of those bands excelling in their own lane, then then there might be a benefit to that. Um, it's not really a world I follow. So outside of that yeah. though, you know, I'm sure like with every industry and every, I guess, you know, coaching style of profession in that, in that sense, there's always going to be people who are gaming the system for just themselves. And there's always going to be those people who are the genuine article who you know, maybe a little bit more on the quiet side, but get the job done. That's that's always been how I sort of approach things or approach people who work a certain way. You're 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 in the engine room though. That's the difference. So you're actually yeah. doing it. So your yeah. advice has come from hard won experience, and as a as I've mentioned, thinking about things. And you've probably seen a lot of bands come through as well uh, from the perspective of. I, I firmly believe that bands work best when they're a benevolent dictatorship. But do you, do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, as in, like having sort of someone in the in the driving, just driving somebody speed. like you're in the middle of your band, and I'm sure the other guys yeah. make some decisions, but ultimately the buck stops with you. That sort of thing. Um, yes and no. Like I'm definitely the driving force in the band for the most part, but I don't have any um overriding powers for the band. Like if if I get voted out on something that I'm super passionate about, then my mentality is either I need to come up with a better idea to convince them or it probably wasn't the best idea to begin with. So it's like a yes, it's a yes and no. I think you need someone who has the vision, but everyone else needs to be on board with it. Um, Worst thing is when I have bands come in who someone has a clear vision of it, but some of the other members don't care. And it's like, well, that doesn't help anyone because how do you, how do you get the outcome, the shared outcome for everyone or the shared success? If you're not even on the same page to begin with, you know, it's easier to be on different lines of the same paragraph than to be on just completely different pages. Yeah, very true. Yeah, about that one there. That's interesting. Yeah. I play covers and we uh mm. 
you, you almost it's in covers you almost want someone not to have an opinion to be quite honest with you because it's, it's <laughs> you, you just want them to get up on stage and know the song yeah because i find that opinions can often be a form of deflection mm. about why they don't want to play a song or usually they just haven't bloody learned a song because it's not like we rehearse <laughs> You, I mean, you know the song. I mean, the In Excess wrote the song years ago, learned the bloody thing. There is yeah. a, abundance of YouTube videos out there that show you how to play every single instrument that appears on just about every major album ever yeah. recorded these days. So there's just no excuses. Yeah, but it's a, I haven't been in an originals band in a decade now. It's been that long. And uh, last time I was in it, I certainly found that if one person was in the driver's seat, it was mm. better than it being more of a democracy because you just get bogged down in this in not arguments but conversations in the bloody rehearsal room when you should be oh, yeah. the source, like, so I mean 100% I mean there are definitely even bands I've worked with who sort of don't really get any decisions made because so much time spent just you know kind of circle jerking the conversation and not getting anywhere and I've definitely yeah. had moments where I'm like cool you can sit here all day and waste your money and time in this room where nothing gets done or you can choose a lane um, and that's kind of important as well. But it's like, you know, when people give Megadeth, um, Dave Mustaine shit from Megadeth, where it's like, yeah. oh, you know, the dude's such a dictator. It's like, yeah, it's his band. Like, whether you like it or not, no one ever ends up in Megadeth thinking to themselves, yeah, man, I'm I'm so equal to Dave Mustaine in this. I'm a valued <laughs> member. It's like, dude, you're, you're, you're getting paid, you know? Like, no one's walked into that situation since probably like, you know, 90 whatever and thought to themselves, you know, I'm here for any other reason than getting paid to be in Megadeth. So mm -hmm. if you know what you're walking into, I think that's really important as well. But obviously young bands don't know that because they're young and they're still working out what that is. You know, it takes a while. It takes a couple of touring and album cycles before you really know what you're trying to do. Um, I can say the same for us. It took us to our third album before I sort of knew like what the band actually is and what we were trying to do. Since then, like we obviously had member changes and things, but it's always been uh, like – the, the process in that time has been like a positive process within the band. We've, we've gone from like strength to strength and confidence to confidence. And that's just because we learned again, not what not to do and what the band wasn't across that time. So younger bands need to go through those steps as well, but if they can be helped along the way, it doesn't hurt. No, agreed. Yeah. What, what about you guys on the, on the touring front? So I know you did some shows in late 2021, um, yeah. but are you looking to go back on the road in support of the, the EP? Yeah. So what was it? Last, last August was the Balacore tour. Um, and that, that was awesome. It was so nice to just get back out on the road. And, you know, I think we've, we've played shows with Balacore since back in maybe 2009, 2010, like quite a while ago. Um, to be able to actually go on a full tour with them was just really reinvigorating for us. And uh, we'd never really done a full tour with them just together. We played with them, you know, with Dark Tranquility and we did our Pardon Vita Mortem launch with them at the corner. So um, it was kind of one of those things that reminded us of why we do love touring because we got to see all of our friends that we haven't seen in ages, you know, interstate friends, fans, people that, you know, really matter to us. And so then going into portraits after that was more like, uh, okay, now we want to go back on the road again. So we are, we have our one-off portraits launch in Melbourne on May 6th at Devlin. That's okay. a sort of evening with situation that we're doing some pretty cool things, but we do want to go back on the road later this year. Um, I think just at the moment, we've got a lot going on sort of in our personal lives. Like um, one of our members just recently with his partner, um, 
moved into a new place and they're, you know, busy doing that and I'm Renos, getting yeah. married this weekend and it's like everyone's got something on. Did you so say you're getting married like, this weekend? Yeah. Oh, congratulations, um, mate. That's thank fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I never thought I'd be that person to get married in general. So, like, now that it's coming up, I was like, oh, my God, this has consumed a lot right, of time. But, like, exciting, you know. Um, but it's realizing that, like, hey, with everything going on in the world still and the way things are progressing, we're not in a hurry to get things done, but we are slowly working towards hopefully getting a tour together for later this year. It would be nice to just visit all the places we went to last year and get back into some kind of cycle because we got used to seeing everywhere in Australia at least twice a year. And then, you know, every second year we do like the international sort of jump and all that. And it's it's been weird not doing that. So I guess finding a sense of normality for us again is having a touring cycle, having things to look forward to. Um, and we are definitely working on it. Um, I don't want to say too much. Just, you know, my mentality is always until things are locked in and announced, then they don't exist. Yeah, um, exactly. So we're definitely working on it. Later this year, the aim is to probably do more places than we have in the past on a tour because there are places that we miss, there are places that we haven't been in ages, and there's places that we haven't been at all. So going to see if we can make a lot more happen this year. Yeah. How do we treat you up here in Queensland? Is it Are we usually good for a bit of a you know a decent response? Uh, Queensland's a second home for us. It was the first place we ever played outside of Melbourne. Um, and, you know, like even from the last tour, the Bellacore tour, like, you know, we played a hometown sold-out show at the corner, right? It was like 800-something people or whatever it was. And that was amazing. But for us, I can say pretty much for most of us, the highlight was um, Brisbane at the bright side. It was just absolute chaos. And it was, yeah, I don't know. It was the most normal that I've felt playing a gig since, you know, pre-pandemic and all that. Like it just felt mm. really at home for us. So, yeah, we love coming up to Queensland. And hopefully next time we come up, we want to be able to do Gold Coast as well. We haven't done that before. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think we're kind of like trying Vinny's to make dive. the most. Perfect. Pardon? Vinny's dive, the venue itself. Yeah, so we've heard Vinny's and yeah. Moe's would be the other two that are up there, right? Moe's is a bit bigger. Vinny's is just a cl- it's, it's a classic venue for a hard rock band. I've seen – I hadn't been there up until I'd seen Dream Killers recently. See, I'm and- all for that vibe, man. Like if that's – you know, like we, we kind of want to play the known places that we do when it's the main cities, but anything outside of that, I want those dive bar vibes, you know, like I want – I want that. <laughs> so we're trying Same. to work out, you know, where we can play. And, you know, if we play to 50 people in wherever locations, we'll be stoked. You know, we just want to play some places we haven't played. And I guess, you know, get that excitement again of playing like it was our first time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love those dive venues to your point. It's uh, it just makes you feel alive being in yeah. these places they're shitty and you're drinking beer out of a tin can again and it just uh i'm not gonna say it brings you back to my youth because they weren't even around back then yeah, in the yeah, 90s, yeah there was nothing you know but but it, they make me feel like as if like this is where this music lives yeah this is the oh, place look, i mean i can think of like i mean a couple of the shows we've played overseas was like festival style things um in in southeast asia and yeah you'd play to like they'd be like a thousand is people sort of in front of you in whatever capacity. And obviously we've, we've been lucky to do like roundhouse with Trivium and stuff like bigger shows mm. that have been really fun. Um, but I always liken it to one of my favorite bands, which is Black Dahlia Murder. Mm. I've seen them at, fe- I've seen them at festivals and bigger, bigger gigs. And yet my favorite time I've seen them was seeing them twice at the Northgate social club in Melbourne, which is like a 300 cap <laughs> venue yeah. and best best time I've ever had. And you're right. Some parts of this music, like we've definitely tailored our sound in a way where it's been our experience from being on bigger stages and, you know, like 
all the lighting stuff and all that we've got now. We definitely work really well on those bigger stages, but playing smaller rooms is like the best time. There's just, like you said, there's something about the energy and like the chaos um, in, in Victoria, in Ballarat, there's a venue called Volta, which used to be Corova Lounge. And it's like a couple of hundred people mostly that you could fit in there. But like when we play there, even like a Sunday night or something, you've probably got like 110 people and they're crammed into this room and it's, you know, like out of, out of Victoria kind of thing. And it's one of my favorite places to play. It absolutely goes off. It doesn't matter what night of the week it is. If people are there to see you, the night's just chaos and we'll get people on stage. <laughs> it, it, it just be so, it's just so much fun when we do it. And those shows to me, in some ways are almost more memorable than the really big ones because the big ones almost feel like there's just like a certain level, again, that theatrical thing where you're trying to please not only the couple of hundred people that are up the front, right? There's the other like five, 600 people that are behind them who aren't necessarily interacting with you directly. Mm. Um, so, so you, you've, you've got to do that Bruce Dickinson thing where he talks about like, you reach the person at the back of the room and try to bring them in. So you're focused more on that than you are just, everyone who's there is is right there in front of you. So it's a completely different vibe. Yeah, agreed with all those comments. Yeah, you know, I just like it for all those reasons too, yeah. Yeah. M- mate, that's great. Uh, can you direct people to socials, wherever they need to go? And have you got physical, have you got CDs, that sort of thing, or vinyl even to support the EP? Yeah. So we have partnered up. Uh, the, the release itself is independent, but the vinyl side of it has been sponsored by the Anti-Vinyl Vinyl Club we sort of submitted our um, release to them and just mentioned, Hey, you know, we're, we're probably going to be doing this on vinyl regardless, but here's this thing. We don't know if you want to be involved, but we think it could be a cool project. Um, they loved it and ran with it. So if you head to antivinylvinylclub.com, I believe, um, and go under the collections, there's a few bundles left for the portraits vinyl. It's going to be specifically a vinyl release and digital only. We don't have any plans for CDs nice. or anything at the moment. Um, you know, Going back to the albums thing, vinyls are in vogue again. People want to have something in front of them and have that tangible object, um, and I love that. And so we've, we've definitely, again, with the self-indulgence side, we've really tailored the EP to to have that experience of being a whole package. So if you head there, you can grab it. Otherwise, uh, facebook.com forward slash Orpheus Official. We're always um, updating stuff on there, and you can – suss out the show in may 6th if you're in melbourne if you want to grab the vinyl we've got all the links up there as well so that's that'd be the main things easy well everybody you've heard him go across and support the band killer that you've decided to do it as a vinyl only physical thing uh as well i know i'm right back into vinyl you can see them just behind me there yeah Um, i love it right yeah right back into it too and it's just just one of those things now where i'm going onto band camp and a lot of it is people that i have a chat to for the podcast yeah support them by purchasing the vinyl and it's all killer music and it's stuff I generally as I'm working away here in my journal role, I just stick yeah. on in the background and you know yeah, what I love great. about it. You just chuck on the whole thing and you get to enjoy the whole journey, right? Instead of it just sort of shuffling from one thing to another. Yeah, but it, that's the point. It's a journey because it has a start and an end. So one side yeah. finishes and you can, you've either got to go get up and turn it over. I mean, yeah. that sounds obvious. Of course you do, but that's the point. It's only on for yeah. a short period of time and then you can sort of have silence and you can put in another one and Away you yep. go. It's if I leave it on Spotify here, which I quite often do, or the hours just tick by, and God knows what I've been listening to. I've got no idea. Yeah, you never really sink in anything, and that's that. Look, that's kind of people are different, but I know for me, I don't consume music that way because it never sticks. So yeah, I totally get it. Mm. Killer chat, mate. Sorry for being late again. Uh, Not a problem, dude. 
but really appreciate you sticking around for it. Uh, good luck with everything. You're just going to keep on going from strength to strength. I'm, I'm actually probably more looking forward to having a chat with you next time around your producer journey. Yeah, it's, it's, you know it's yeah, there's definitely lots going on. So yeah, dude, thank you again for having me on and always keen to chat with you. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I enjoyed participating in it. So if you like that one, there are many more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com. And if you like listening, maybe you like reading, because I've written a book about the podcast. Click on the link in the banner on the website. You'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice, and you can download a sample. And if you do complete the purchase, I want to thank you personally. So please do hit me up. I've got some more information to share with you about the book in the moment, but before we get to that, I need to bid you a fond farewell. My name is Andrew McKay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Until next time, it is a very good bye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners, ever. Yeah, wise words there, sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded and, and he was into having his, his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. 
All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.